Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. And during our series of the Old Testament, I want to just be totally transparent and admit to you that some of the stuff we've gone through has seemed pretty unbelievable. You know, we've gone through creation, right? Men and women and all of creation spoken into existence. That's hard to get our mind wrapped around. The Tower of Babel, Noah, Moses, and Pharaoh, the Battle of Jericho, Samson, Jonah, David and Goliath. We've come across stories that are just hard to believe. Maybe none more than Jonah, right? Well, I don't know, that Jericho thing, that's pretty cool too. You know, just shout and the walls came crashing down. And skeptics of the Bible would like to point to these stories and say they're nothing more than cautionary tales devised by religious people to keep people in line, all right? To help them live moral lives. Liberal Christians would say that these are just allegorical accounts given by God as fictional examples to teach us lessons in morality. But you got to think of the other side of that coin. If that was true, then we, if we can't take the miracles of the Old Testament literally, can we take any of the Bible literally? If we don't take the stories of the Old Testament as historically accurate, then by extension, we can't take the gospel record of Jesus' ministry historically accurate either. And so either it's all true or none of it's true, right? Either all of it can be trusted or none of it can be trusted. Maybe that's more apt, right? Can we trust the Bible? I want to tell you that our confession here at the church is that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and that we trust in God's word for our life, how we live our lives, and how we conduct ourselves. That is authority, It is the authority in our lives. And these aren't simply fictional morality tales, but they are the Word of God. And today we're going to be talking about more unbelievable things, more things that are just hard to get our minds wrapped around. The miracles of Elijah. And miracles are God's ability to exercise His sovereignty over creation, to provide and protect and deliver His people. If God created the heavens and the earth, then surely he is sovereign over all of his creation. Not only the stars in the sky and the weather and the, you know, did not, you go to the Alps, man. I mean, Joe, you were in the Alps this last week, right? With your family. And I saw the pictures of you guys just skirting the cliffside. And I thought, oh, I'd love to do that. But my frau will never allow this. (laughs) You know, she will, she might allow me to do it, (laughs) but she won't go. You know, but you think about how the mountains just are there because God created them. They're just there. There's rose out of the earth. God created the mountains. He created the seas. Everything is under his authority. He is the God of the impossible. Amen. And today we're going to look at Elijah and how God reveals himself as the God of the impossible through Elijah. So hopefully you're at First Kings chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 1, and today we're going to have a lot of scripture. Maybe the preaching isn't so good, okay, but you're going to get the word nonetheless, all right, because we're going to read a lot of scripture. Verse 1 says this, now Elijah the Tishbite, 
of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So here we are, we have Elijah, we have King Ahab, and we're going to kind of just break down for a minute the players in today's lesson. First, we have Ahab, who is king of Israel. And our first, our, let me just get to the first point today. The first point is God hates idolatry. So we're going to just start this off, my preaching, the new year, uh, uh, you know, after summer, we're going to start this off just with a really feel-good sermon. God hates idolatry. And when you take the word hate and you put God next to it, it's really weird. You got to really think about it, and I did about the title of this. But there are things, I want to tell you, there are things God hates. He hates idolatry. When God's people who are created in his image worship what he has created rather than the creator, he hates that. That's, that's through scripture. That's Bible. There's no doubt about that. And so we can definitely say that. God hates idolatry. And Ahab is an idolater. He is the king of Israel, but he's an idolater. He's the worst, most evil king in a long line of bad kings. First Kings 16 puts it like this. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. And I want to tell you, there's a long list of bad kings, okay? I mean, we get all upset about who's president of the United States. Let me tell you, these kings were bad, right? I mean... They make, they make Donald Trump look like Pope Francis, okay? I mean, really just bad dudes, idolatrous people leading God's people astray. And then Ahab has probably one of the most famous, infamous women in the Bible as his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel is Ahab's wife. She was a heathen princess from a neighboring kingdom who she, Ahab should have never married in the first place. And she had tremendous influence over Ahab. As a matter of fact, the term Jezebel is really now uh, a, a term by which we identify women who manipulate men for their own selfish ambition. She's a real Jezebel. What we're saying there is she's a manipulative woman who is trying to get her own way. And, and that's, like, that's her legacy, right? That's who we're talking about today. And Baal is the, is a, is the most prominent God, uh, little g, in Canaanite deity, uh, excuse me, in the Canaanite pantheon. So um, the Canaanites worship many gods, but the most prominent was Baal. And his sphere of influence was agriculture, animal husbandry, and human sexuality, weather kind of things, Okay. And this drought that Elijah proclaimed was a direct challenge to the authority of Baal worshipers, Baal and those who worshipped him, because Baal was said to give rain. He was, he was the God that people would pray to for good crops and health. And you know, to have good crops, you need water. If you're raising corn and you don't have water, you got sick, gross corn, okay? You need water. You think about watermelon, right? What makes watermelon great? How watery it is, right? I mean, you need water, and you need that. 
And uh, Elijah said, there's not going to be any rain. There's not even going to be any dew. And this just put the exclamation point on it that this was God, right? Not only, it's not a, you know, we're, like I said, we're from Texas. We're, we're accustomed to no rain, okay? We're accustomed to that. But to have no dew, to have nothing, no moisture whatsoever, that is an act of God. And then the last player we have today is Elijah. And Elijah's name means my God is the Lord. Did you know that, Elijah? Did you know that's what your name means? My God is the Lord? He was a prophet. And a prophet is a man or woman of God chosen to be God's spokesperson, right? To speak to people for God. And as prophet, Elijah was called to voice his displeasure for idolatry among Israel, the idolatry that had become rampant in Israel. How many of you know prophets aren't most, the most popular person in the neighborhood? How many of you know that it's not easy to follow a prophet? It's not easy to listen to the words of a prophet. We were talking this week, I was talking, we had a men's uh, meeting, a, le- a leadership thing this week, and talked about how, you know, a lot of people say that the reason they want a good church is for accountability, I think that's really funny because everybody wants accountability in a church until it's time for them to be held accountable. Amen? Me too, right? It's like, yeah, I want accountability. Well, and then somebody holds us accountable. I'm like, I don't, I don't like the way this makes me feel right here, right? But that's what a prophetic word is. It's somebody speaking into your life in a challenging way. You read through the Bible and you read through the prophets Most of the time, they are not saying how pleased God is with you. They're not saying how pleased God is and how privileged he is to be your God. They're saying repent, turn away, follow the one true God. They're calling God's people to repentance. And this office, this office of prophet, this message that God had given Elijah, put Elijah in a precarious situation. His life was in danger because the easiest way to silence a prophet is to cut off his head, is to kill him. That's the, that's the easiest way. And prophets have been being murdered throughout biblical history. And because it's just, you don't want to listen to them. It's easier just to get rid of them and keep doing what you've been doing. Maybe one of the most famous is John the Baptist, who was beheaded because he told the king that it wasn't right for him to be with the woman he was with, and so he was beheaded. He was in prison, then beheaded. But I want to tell you, God is in the business of confronting our idols. God hates idolatry, and he loves us enough to confront our idols. And idolatry is still rampant today. I, I doubt that if I went to your houses and I visited uh, you know, your living room that I'm going to see a sculpture of Baal. Just, I'm, I'm checking everybody out, making sure, right? I'm not going to see a god of wood or stone. But I may, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not, it doesn't mean that we're not idolatrous. Even though we may say, we, oh, well, I don't worship a god of wood or stone, we still may worship what God has created rather than worship Him. We may worship our job, our spouse, our children, our hobbies. These things are all idolatrous behavior. 
And I want to tell you, it breaks God's heart when we choose to worship His creation rather than worshiping Him. It breaks His heart. He created us in His image that we might be in relationship with Him. And when we choose to worship something He has given us for good, instead, it breaks His heart. And Jesus is still calling men and women to speak prophetically. And the office of prophet may have shifted a little bit, but the role of a prophet speaking into our lives and challenging our behavior, that hasn't gone away. The office of prophet, that's up for, we can discuss that, but the ability to speak prophetically, that's something different. Today, how does that look? What's the gift of, what's the prophetic gift look like today? Number one, I want to tell you that we confess this, this gift still exists today. It's a spiritual gift given by God, and it's a calling and an ability for a man or a woman to speak this kind of truth into people's lives. To speak it boldly and with conviction. And this is from God. Like I can stand, I, I have stood up here for hundreds of weeks and preached the gospel, but it is never, never anything I say that changes the hearts and lives of people. But it is the Spirit of God working through this ministry and in your hearts that changes lives. It's got to be a supernatural thing. Because it turns out, we as human beings are really ridiculously stubborn people. And unless God does a transformative work in our lives, we're going to keep doing what we've always done. But it is the office of prophet who speaks from this pulpit or speaks from a a, a men's group or even your growth group leaders and confronting behavior that's in your life that brings about change. Now, some of us have gotten very good at ignoring that prophetic voice, saying, well, that's, that's Old Testament. That's, that's his opinion. But I want to tell you, if at any point in any sermon from this one or any following one or any one before it, if, the heart, if your heart is pricked and you're thinking, oh, that's me. Matt is reading my mail, <laughs> right? Jordan is reading my mail. What is going on? He's talking to me. I want to tell you, that's the prophetic gift at work. That's the Spirit of God triggering something in you that needs to be changed. And the only thing you can do to that, the only response, logically, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is respond affirmatively to that. Say, yes, Lord. Yes. And then, you say yes here while you're sitting here. That's great. I mean, I'm excited about that. But then you go home and you make a plan. And you do it. You change, you modify your behavior, you start doing some other things, you act on what God did in your heart in church, and that's the way transformation happens. God has not called you to sit here for three years. He's not called you to sit anywhere for three years, but to be active, that your faith is to be living and active. I'm way off the notes, I'm coming back right now. I want to tell you too, God has not changed. Nothing can challenge his place of supreme rule in our lives, nothing Nothing can challenge that. He is on the throne. Somebody please say amen. Amen. Jesus is still calling men and women to speak prophetically. He's still moving today in the church. He's still alive. He's not dead. His purpose for Israel and for us is that we would listen, that we would repent, and that we would worship him as God alone. So let's move ahead. 
Go with me to verse 5, and we're going we're to read the next 11 verses through 16. And so after Elijah had received this instruction that he's going to go to this brook, he's going to hang out there, and he's going to drink water, and birds are going to feed him, he does it. That's where we're at right now. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. This is Elijah. And he went and lived by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, Arise and go to Zarephath, where, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. And behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. Now remember, there's no rain and there's no dew. And he's asking this woman who he does not know for water. And she was going to bring it. And he called her and said, bring me a morsel of bread that is in your hand. And he, she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. God here is demonstrating through this miracle of the flour and the oil that he is the God of the impossible. Amen. He is God of the impossible. And we've established that God does not change. And he did, he did this miracle and he has done many, many miracles since. And he's still doing miracles today. And I want to tell you, those who are faithful to God can count on his provision. Now, you may not have all that you want, but you will have all that you need. Those who are faithful to God can count on his provision. And Elijah's obedience to proclaim the word of God and to grow in the wilderness, it, it required his trust in God, that God would provide for him somehow. And like Moses before him and Jesus after him, he had to go where only the miraculous intervention of God could sustain him and deliver him. And it's, it's not a coincidence that in the transfiguration in the New Testament, when Jesus is on the hill and he's meeting, who does he meet with? Moses and Elijah. All right? It's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. It's, it's not by accident. It's not by chance. These men endured like incredible hardships, and they were only able to, to do um, what they did that God was only able to do what he did through them because of their obedience to go into a situation that was completely uncomfortable, completely no hope. But they went where only God's miracles could sustain them. And throughout history, God has provided for the men and women who have stepped out in faith and obedience to his call. But I would also speculate, I mean, I know this firsthand, but you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, that history is also full of men and women who have chosen to resist the call and as a result failed to experience the miraculous. You think about it, God calls you to something 
that is beyond you. And let me tell you something. If God's calling, it's beyond you. It's beyond you. Because God calls us to do things that are impossible without his help. And we might have said, well, that's, that's too hard. That's too difficult. It's not the right time. It's, I'll wait till I retire. I'll wait till I get this. Or I'll start doing this when this happens. I want to tell you that you, you have probably dismissed the miraculous working of God in your life. You've probably missed, missed it because God is calling us to step out in faith. Anybody can step out and do what they know they can do. That doesn't take a whole lot of faith. But to step out and do something you can't do, to step out and say, yes, Lord, I'll do it even though I don't see how it's going to be done. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll take that step of faith even though I don't know where it's going to lead. That is huge. You think about the ravens bringing bread and meat to Elijah. Maybe Elijah didn't get all he wanted, but he definitely had all he needed. And I don't know what kind of meat they were bringing him. You know, I mean, number one, where do ravens get bread? Where do they get bread? Do they just fly into Zana, pick up a pretzel roll, bring it to him? I don't know, right? Where did the meat come from? I'll tell you, it's the miraculous provision of God. I mean, it'd be nice to think it was T-bones and pretzel bread, but it was probably just exactly what he needed to survive. But from all of this, we know God is not a vegetarian, right? <laughs> Somebody say amen. That, right. That's a joke, by the way. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you. Burger King now has a burger for you. It's called the Impossible Whopper. Have you heard of this? What? It's a meatless Whopper. It's legit. They sell like 45 a day at every Burger King location. Go try it. But I think it's awesome that they brought, they, brought him, they brought him meat. They brought him bread. And he was sustained. And then the brook dried up. Why? Because God was judging the land. He was judging the people. And, and, and the prophet of God, even though he was obedient, wasn't exempt to that. You know? And he was called to suffer too. And he sends this widow who has nothing and you think about the faith of the widow, which I think often gets overlooked. You know, Elijah says, go bake me a cake. And she says, I don't have enough cake for me and my son. I'm just getting a couple sticks. I'm getting ready to die. And he says, do everything that you said you're going to do. You know, go make your bread, then die. But first, make me some bread. Because I tell you this, the Lord has spoken to me that this this is not going to be the end of the flower and it's not going to be the end of the oil and the God, God is going to sustain you and he's going to sustain me to the end of this thing. And she went and did it. And we like to think we're always the hero in the story. We're, that would have been us. We would have done that too. I don't know. I don't know that, right? I mean, she could have went back and said, that guy's crazy. Let's eat quickly before he comes back, you know? And then they have the oil. I mean, the bread, do you get the bread and the oil? I mean, the bread, the bread will not run out. You know, aren't you glad that Jesus has not left us as orphans and that the bread of life that he has given himself is not going to run out until his return? And we're going to be sustained. We're going to make it, church. We're going to make I don't care how bad things get. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it through him. He is going to sustain us. The bread of life, Jesus Christ, is going to sustain us. And the anointing. What is the anointing? How is the anointing symbolized throughout the entire Old Testament? Through what? 
oil, through oil. And God, Jesus ascended to the Father. He said, it's better for you that I go. So what? That I may send the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, upon every single person. It's not, it's not just Moses anymore. It's not just Elijah. But the Spirit of God has been poured out upon all of God's people. The Spirit of God dwells within us. And that is going to sustain us, church. But I want to tell you, I feel the church has lost its power because we have relegated the Holy Spirit to an errand boy, our errand boy. But the Holy Spirit is the, is the presence and personhood of God living in each and every one of us to accomplish what is otherwise impossible. Church, we got to wake up to that. The Spirit of God lives in us. And the Spirit will not be taken away, will not be lifted up until Jesus returns. He is our sustaining bread and oil. Amen. But our faithfulness in difficult circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves, some of you may not be in difficult circumstances today. I rejoice with you. But some of you may find yourself in difficult circumstances today. I want to tell you that our faithfulness through them provides God an opportunity to demonstrate his love to us, demonstrate himself to us, I want Stacy to come up and share a story, a couple of stories from a wonderful missionary woman, Lillian Trasher, in a book called Letters from Lillian. It's a collection of letters uh, that she has published in this short little book, but it just tells of the miraculous provision of God.
Amen. So, yes, thank you, Stacy. You know, and maybe it's just the environment Stacy and I are in, but um, there are so many missionary stories that are exactly like this one. You know, uh, this woman is called the mother of the, the Nile, and uh, the impact she has made in Egypt still rings today. She's, the orphanage is still open. There are still hundreds and hundreds of orphans cared for by the Lillian Trasher uh, Orphanage. And, and uh, it's just one woman who stepped out in faith and did what was, would be hard for anybody to do, to leave home, to leave her fiancé, to follow the calling of the Lord. And God has been so faithful in so many lives touched and so many lives transformed. These kids were literally thrown away thrown away and uh, now have hope. Continuing on in our message, in our last point, is that God uses people. In verse 17, it says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to my remembrance and cause the death of my son. And she said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid, on, he laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. God uses people. He used Elijah. Did he have to use Elijah? No, but he did. And God doesn't just use Elijah. He uses people like Lily and Trasher. He uses people uh, like you and me. And, 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 and <coughs> excuse me, we don't think that way. We always think God's going to use somebody else. He's going to use the missionary. He's going to use the pastor. He's going to use the evangelist. He's going to use the priest or the nun. But he's going to use you. He, I, I mean, you think about it, the people I know who are doing awesome things for the Lord around the world, they were just people, and they are just people, just like us. But God uses people. He uses people as vessels of his blessing and his provision. God raised the widow's son through Elijah. He laid upon the widow's son. He spoke to the Lord on his behalf. He raised him from the dead. Now, here's an interesting thing. Elijah didn't get all puffed up and stick his chest out and say, look what I've done. But he brought glory to the Lord. See, miracles bring glory to God, not to the man, 
not to the woman. They bring glory to God. And this is really important, and it's one thing we can use as a, as a point of discernment in today's ministries, because so many traveling evangelists and healers will point to their own ministry and use miracles that God is doing to validate themselves. But God uses miracles to bring, him, bring glory to him, not to the vessels that he uses. And God provided through what the widow already had. I think that's very important too. What'd she have? A little bit of bread and a little bit of oil. But God is able to multiply that. He is able to make much out of little. Somebody say amen. And God still uses people as an answer to prayer and for miraculous provision. It's not always manna from heaven or T-bone steaks from ravens. Sometimes God calls his people to sacrifice their comfort and their goods to benefit others as an answer to that person's prayer. Another interesting point from this story is we can learn that God is never late and that he is never early, but he's always right on time. And as you read ahead and as you go through your devotions this week that are online, you can keep going with us, you know, keep going through with us. You'll read in 18 that the rain eventually comes. It comes right at the right time. Right when Baal has been defeated and God has been exalted, it comes at just the right time. God is always right on time. After three attempts, the boy was raised. It wasn't the first attempt. It wasn't the first prayer. It wasn't one and done. It wasn't set it and forget it. It was pray, no result. Pray again, no result. Pray, raised from the dead. Now, many of us, including myself, we pray, and God doesn't seem to be moving. What do we do? We go to plan B immediately, right? And actually, sometimes we pray as only a courtesy to God. Really, it's our intent to go to plan B from the very get-go, but we know we're Christians and we should pray, so we do. But we don't exercise our faith and trust God. We're not willing to wait on him. Patience is a discipline that Christians should learn and exercise, for sure. Because God doesn't always say yes right away. Sometimes he says wait. And for me, that's almost worse than no sometimes. But the rain came exactly at the right moment. And no matter how dire the circumstances are, whether or not we feel God is hearing us, we need to trust in his plan and his timing. We need to trust in him. And as I close, I want to remind us that even though we read through the historical accounts of the Old Testament, some of it just seems so hard to believe, and we can be tempted to dismiss these miraculous interventions of God as just sanctified fairy tales. I want to tell you that Jesus, Jesus never, ever took this position and often referred to the miracles of the Old Testament as precursors to his own more powerful, more prolific ministry. And we need to remember that God's love for us is no less than it was for Elijah and Israel, that it is the same today, and that he is willing and capable of doing the impossible to accomplish his will. And like Israel, we live in a world of idolatry. I started out this sermon saying this world is not too much different from the world of Elijah. This world is swimming 
in idolatry. But Israel, God's people, the church, God's people are called to bring glory and honor to the one true God. However, Israel was corrupted by the influences around them. Instead of setting the example and expecting and, and, and uh, encouraging those around them to be God followers and be more like Christ, be more like what God has called them to be, they became corrupted by it. And the same influences at work in the church today. Church, we are called not to be influenced by the world, but be de- to be influencers of, in the world. Amen? God has called us to stand up, and the prophetic voice needs to be returned to the church. We don't need more sermons, you know, the best you is still coming. We don't need that. We don't need uh, your best life yet. We don't, need, we don't need that. What we need is a call to repentance and holiness and Christ following. That's what we need. And we need that voice to be loud. We need to stop practicing idolatry and calling ourselves Christians. To stop confessing we follow Christ, but in truth and in practice, we're following our own selfish ambition and worshiping that which was created instead of the creator. And we need to see ourselves as more than church people, more than pew sitters, more than the occasional Christian. And we need to be living up to the calling that Christ has in each and every one of us. And not, the calling is not always to a vocation, but it's to a situation. How many times have you been sitting in the office and hearing somebody going through a painful time in their life and you thought to yourself, well, I hope that works out. Or you thought to yourself, I, I, man, should I talk to them? Should I share with them? Should I offer to help them? And you thought, well, that seems like a, a lot of trouble. It's not my business. The church is, the truth is, God is calling his church to be influencers in the world. And God may be calling you to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. You. Not just the pastor, not just the staff, but calling you. And a lot of people dismiss this because it's not comfortable and it's definitely not convenient. I want to tell you, that serving the Lord is never comfortable and it's never convenient. It's never comfortable and it's never convenient. And if you're waiting for that just exact right time to work out or that exact situation to work out, it's never going to happen. Because it wasn't comfortable for Lillian Trasher to leave the United States of America, move to Egypt, and start an orphanage. It's not comfortable to serve the Lord. It's not convenient And you have to embrace that. We have to embrace that. We have to embrace discomfort in order for somebody else to be comfortable. Those orphans had a life because she gave hers up. Today, we're not willing to do that so much. You know? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves so that somebody else can have something, right? Whether it be something physical or have Jesus. Are we we willing to sacrifice ourselves? If you're not... If you're not willing, maybe, maybe, you know, that's fair. Maybe you're saying, no, no. You may never experience the miracle-working power of God in your life. If you are always limited to what you can do and what you can accomplish, there's no really room for God to accomplish the miraculous through you, is there? You're always just, you're never taking on a big enough bite because God's just a little bit too small. You think about Elijah when he laid over the boy and prayed, and he told the woman, 
here. The, just, the, just the possibility of failure there must have been overwhelming. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to pray that your son be raised from the dead. This had never happened. In, this has never happened. This is the first raising of the dead that we see. No, no precedent. And he puts himself out there and says, I'm going to pray for your son. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. What? What? And God answers and raises the boy from the dead. Church, I, I believe God is going to do something in our community. And I, I want to share stuff with you that I feel God's been speaking to me over the summer, but I'm going to wait till next week. And it's, it's not a teaser, right? You come back next week, God bless you. You don't, that's fine. I'm just saying, I, I want to I make sure we have the whole family here. A lot of people are traveling, but I really, God is, is I believe God is calling our church to sacrifice to reach our community. And what I want to know is if, are you willing to do that? You know, are we going to be willing to do that? Are we going to, are we going to really, do we believe Jesus is the answer for our community? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that, that he is hope for the hopeless? That the, the answer to the problems of the world is not higher taxes or more community service or this or that, but it's Jesus. Do we believe that? And if we believe that's the answer, are we willing to do what's necessary and sacrifice what we want to do and our vacations and our finances and our time to make that happen for somebody else? Because look, at, if it doesn't, we'll always be who we are. We'll always be us few and that's it, right? But if we're willing to each one of us sacrifice, serve, do what's necessary. I believe that the impact that we can make on this community will be immeasurable. It'll be revival. I believe it'll be revival. And, uh, but it's going to take each one of us believing that we can be a part of that, and that God is calling us to be part of that. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.